السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, over the past few weeks, we've been discussing the, or discussing some aspects of the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, namely the obligation in Islam of loving the Prophet and holding him dearer to ourselves and our own selves. The obligation of revering him, of honouring him. And also the love that the Prophet himself had for the noble companions and in fact for the whole ummah in general, even for those who were destined to come long after him. We've also learnt a bit about the love of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a depthless ocean bottomless ocean, a shoreless ocean, and one can expire one's entire life and yet only come to scratch the surface of the noble personality, character and person of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another fascinating aspect of his person and personality and life, in my view, is the effect that the Prophet ﷺ had on his enemies. So we're not talking about the love of the Sahaba for him. Nor are we talking about those who, although they may not have embraced Islam from the very beginning, at least were sympathetic or to some extent neutral. But I'm speaking of those who were his bitterest and most implacable enemies. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either turned their hearts towards him or the hearts of their closest family members. And only a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam could have achieved that. It's remarkable 
when we look at some of his bitterest enemies. Going back to the very beginning of the Prophet Wasallam's call to Islam, it was the leading members of the Quraysh, the chieftains of the Quraysh, who opposed him. Utbah, Shayba, Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayd, Amr ibn Hisham, better known as Abu Jahl, Umayyut ibn Khalaf, Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira, and various others. These were the towering chieftains of the Quraysh. They never had a king, they had a council of elders. And the Darun Nadwa, it was like their senate, their chamber, their ancestral chamber and their senate in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And it was actually traditionally the house of Qusay ibn Kilab, the main ancestor of the Quraysh, just a few generations back, who had brought the Quraysh together in Makkah al-Mukarramah and driven out the Khuzar, Banu Khuzar. So they used his house after his death. It became uh, a seat of politics and power, and it was their senate. So that's where they would gather. But there was no one single chieftain. Rather, uh, being fierce Bedouin and uh, being fierce Arabs with a Bedouin culture and a very strong tribal culture, they wouldn't pay homage to a single person as monarch or king or emperor. Rather, each clan had its leader, each tribe had its leader. And these leaders came together as a council of tribal leaders and elders. And of course, they would honour some of them as being the most preeminent amongst them. But it was still a council. So all of these people belonged to this council of elders. And there were some younger ones as well. But the younger ones didn't have the same power, prestige and influence or say as the older ones. So some of the younger ones who attended the hearings and the gatherings were people such as Umar ibn al-Khattab and Khalid ibn al-Walid, even Abu Sufyan, Amr ibn al-As, Safwan ibn Umayyah, Ikrimat ibn Abi Jahl. These were the younger ones, but the leaders were the seniors. The father of Safwan, Umayyad ibn Khalaf. The father of Ikrimah, Abu Jahl. The father of Khalid ibn al-Walid, al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. And then you had Utbah, Shayba, and various others. And the eldest one amongst them, who probably had the most prestige and influence because he was most senior in age, was the father of Khalid ibn al-Walid, al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. He didn't last for very long, but he, during his lifetime, he was one of the most senior ones, especially when it came to opposing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now, one only has to look at these family, these individuals what they did to the Prophet ﷺ and the others that supported them and what became of their own families, their children, 
their wives, their sons and daughters. It, it's remarkable. The Prophet ﷺ was opposed even by his own relatives and cousins. His uncle Abu Lahab, his cousin brothers. Two of his cousin brothers were, well, he had a few cousins who opposed him. He had an uncle, his father's brother, known as Al-Harith. And Al-Harith ibn Abdul Muttalib, he was actually his father's brother, half-brother. And Al-Harith, he had a son called Abu Sufyan. And he had another son called Nawfal. And again, they were both bitter enemies of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His auntie... <coughs> The, father, uh, the sister of his father, Atika bint Abdul Muttalib. She had a son known as Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah. Even though he was the first cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, again, he was an extremely bitter enemy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa salam didn't just face opposition from members of different clans. But in fact, from his own clans, his first cousins, his auntie's son, his uncle's son. And their opposition was very severe. In fact, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, on one occasion, in the very early days of Meccan life, uh, after the declaration of Islam and the revelation of the Qur'an, the Prophet ﷺ was invited by all of these chieftains of the Quraysh who had come together. So they gathered near the Kaaba and they sent word to him that, O oh Muhammad, come and meet us. We have come together. We wish to speak to you. Rasulullah ﷺ, in his eagerness and zeal and hope that maybe they have come together to collectively listen to me attentively and embrace with a sympathetic ear. Prophet ﷺ excitedly hurried from home to the Maqaf, the, the area around the Kaaba, and there he went and met with these chieftains of the Quraysh. They posed all manner of questions to him, and they even said a number of things to him. Initially, they, they engaged in conversation and dialogue. They weren't rude, although their demands were very unreasonable. And slowly, the conversation degenerated into jibes and insults at the Prophet ﷺ. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to in the Qur'an when he says that they said, that we will never believe in you until you are able to cause a spring to gush forth for us from the ground. This is a reference to that conversation. Because in that meeting, they made all manner of demands. And all of them were present. Umayyah, Utbah, Shayba, Abu Jahl, And the others, including the Prophet ﷺ's cousin brothers. And so 
One of them was Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, the son of his auntie Atika. So his first cousin from his paternal auntie. So they, the Prophet ﷺ despaired of their belief. And they, they demanded from him that he causes a spring to gush forth from the earth. Or they said, we live in parched dry lands here in Mecca. So why don't you, if you are a true messenger of God, why don't you just miraculously cause rivers and streams to flow in our region so that we are surrounded by orchards and vineyards. And then some of them said, you know what, we won't believe in you, this is on that occasion, until you climb up to the heavens and you bring a book, you produce a book. And they even said cheekily, that's why I said the conversation degenerated into insults and jibes. They said, first of all, we won't believe in you until we see you climbing up and rising to the sky. And even if we with our eyes see you rising to the sky, And even if we do actually see you rising to the sky, we still won't believe in you until you come back down with a book. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him at the end of that set of verses, قُلْ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّي Say to them, may my Lord be glorified. I am not but a messenger. A human and a messenger. That the things you demand of me, these are impossible. I am but a human and a messenger. So when the Prophet ﷺ realized that they were just merely insulting him and uh, casting jibes at him, he rose to leave. So his first cousin, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, he rose with him. And he, so the Prophet ﷺ was very saddened. And it, it seemed that maybe his cousin brother Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah was accompanying him on the basis that he's his first cousin and the others had just insulted him. So in order to offer him some solace and comfort, he accompanied the Prophet ﷺ. But then the Prophet ﷺ soon realized that Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, his first cousin, was no better. Because he actually said to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you've heard what they've all said to you. And in fact, I say to you that I will never believe in you until you climb up to the heavens and I watch you rising to the sky, and then you come back with an open book spread out in front of you, and you are accompanied by four angels who all testify that you are what and who you claim to be. And in fact, even if you did all of that, I still won't believe in you. That was his first cousin, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah. Imagine the grief and the hurt and the pain of the Prophet ﷺ, having to hear that from his first cousin. Prophet ﷺ was extremely saddened and grieved, and he left. He was so hurt by this from his first cousin. On the other hand, that was his paternal aunt's son, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah. On his father's side, his uncle Al-Harith ibn Abdul Muttalib, his father's half-brother, he had a son known as Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith. Now Abu Sufyan, this is different to Abu Sufyan ibn al-Sakhr ibn al-Harb. He was a third cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith was a first cousin. And one of the remarkable things about the genealogies of the Arabs is that, subhanAllah, one of the accusations against Islam and Muslims is that the hadith are fabricated. And the early history of Islam is fabricated. One only has to look at the genealogies. A collection of supercomputers, not one, but a collection of supercomputers working in tandem could not fabricate these genealogies that are all interconnected and accurate. And yet we find them. They are there. And we have them from the earliest records. And scholars, both Muslim as well as non-Muslim, neutral, sympathetic, as well as hostile, have always studied these genealogies and this early history of Islam. And even in this computer age, when you can actually take all of these details and put them into tables and uh, trees and databases, you will still find that they are all accurate and they stand up to scrutiny. Yes, given a few mistakes here and there, which are inevitable, but they stand up to scrutiny. They survive scrutiny. And what that shows is that they weren't fabricated at a later date. How could one individual author fabricate all of these genealogies, stretching back a number of generations? Subhanallah. So anyway, Rasulullah uncle, Al-Harith, his son Abu Sufyan, he wasn't the, uh, not the Abu Sufyan that we know, we commonly refer to uh, the, the husband of Hind. Rather, Abu Sufyan ibn Harith was the first cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Hind was the daughter of Utbah, and she was married to Abu Sufyan. So, independently, she is also the third cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abu Sufyan is also independently the third cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abu Sufyan ibn Harith was his first cousin, his uncle's son. And he was also a very bitter and implacable enemy of the Prophet ﷺ. He was actually a very eloquent poet. And he would satirize the Prophet ﷺ in his poetry. And Rasulullah was extremely hurt. And that's why in the eighth year of Hijrah, just before the conquest of Mecca. Both Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith, his cousin brother from his uncle, and Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, his cousin brother from his auntie, they both together came to visit him, humbly. Despite everything they had said and done, they both came to visit him in order to embrace Islam. So, another interesting point 
is that Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, he was the first cousin of the Prophet from his paternal auntie, Atika, the daughter of Abdul Muttalib. This Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah was also the half-brother of Umm Salamah anha, the wife of Rasulullah So when they both came to visit the Prophet before the conquest of Mecca, he refused to see them. So Umm Salamah she interceded on behalf of his two cousin brothers, on behalf of her half-brother and on behalf of Abu Sufyan, the first cousin. from, So she said to him, Ya Rasulullah, after all, this is your uncle's son, Abu Sufyan, and this is your auntie's son, Abdullah, her half-brother. And she interceded on their behalf. The Prophet wasallam was so hurt that he actually said to Umm Salama, radiyallahu anha, he said, as far as Abu Sufyan is concerned, he attacked my honor, i.e. through his poetry. And as far as Abdullah is concerned, I still remember what he said to me in Mecca, i.e. that I will never believe in you until you rise to the sky and until you come down with an open book and four angels who testify in your favor that all that you claim to be is true. And even then I will not believe in you. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam had not forgotten that. Almost 20 years later, he was still hurt by it. So the Prophet initially didn't grant them permission. Then, Ali radiallahu approached Abu Sufyan, because he was his cousin brother as well. <coughs> And he said to him, go humbly before the Prophet and say to him what the brothers of Yusuf said to him. So they did come and they said, by Allah, verily Allah has elevated you and given you privilege and preference over us. And surely we were of the wrongful ones. So they said what Yusuf salam's brother said to him. So immediately, despite all that pain and hurt, because it was double, you see, if a stranger had said something to the Prophet wasallam, it's one thing. This was his blood, his family, his first cousins from both sides. So despite everything, and despite the initial intercession of Umm Salama radiyallahu anha and his refusal, as soon as he heard these words, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited the next verse of the Qur'an, لَا تَثْرِيبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمِ يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَهُوَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ That this day there is no retribution against you, Allah will forgive you, and verily he is the most merciful of those who show mercy. And then, both Abu Sufyan, his first cousin, and Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, another first cousin, they were devoted to the Prophet Despite all these years of enmity, and hatred, and opposition, 
and attacking his honour and dignity, satirising him, taunting him, his own first cousins, their hearts were transformed. Without any compulsion, they came humbly before Rasulullah wasallam, and they, sh- they proved their devotion and dedication from that day onwards. I mention that because I wanted to show how even his cousins opposed the Prophet Now Rasulullah indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had sent him in such a way that Allah says of him, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيذَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَاعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَابِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ Speaking of the companions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing him says, it is of some mercy, i.e. it is of a great mercy from Allah that you were soft and lenient towards them, i.e. the companions. And had you been harsh of tongue, hard of heart, they would have dispersed from around you. So it was a noble character of the Prophet His mercy, his softness, his leniency, his compassion, his forbearance, his tolerance. It was these things which gelled the companions around him which kept them around him, which bonded them, and caused them to remain attached to him. But they were the companions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says of the same companions, you see, no one could have achieved this. No wealth in the world can achieve this. We may, wealth can bring about the appearance and the veneer of unity. But the unity of the hearts, no wealth, no amount of gold or power can actually achieve that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That it is Allah who brought about harmony between their hearts. And then addressing the Prophet wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, if you were to spend all the wealth of the world, all the wealth of the world. Now, just pause and think, reflect on those words. If we, t- if we consider the wealth of today, trillions, all the trillions, all the gold, silver, minerals, and the platinum of the world collectively cannot create love between hearts. That's a testimony of Allah. Yet despite the meagerness of means, in the hands and around the Prophet of and around the Prophet despite all the poverty and the privations and all the sacrifice, without spending a single penny, Rasulullah was able to unite and harmonize the hearts of bitter enemies and warring factions. And that was with the companions. But this compassion and this miraculous transformation 
and the winning of the hearts and triumph over them extended even to his enemies. And that's what I wish to speak about today. Not the companions, not those who were neutral or sympathetic. We are talking about his most bitter and implacable enemies. Those who set out to kill him. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. He swore that he would take the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And he went brandishing his sword. He met someone who told him, put your own house in order. When he went, i.e. his sister, who had embraced Islam. When he went, when he arrived there, and eventually, it's a long story, he heard the recitation of the verses of the Qur'an. He was overwhelmed. And he was taken to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he embraced Islam. The one who sought, who set out from home to take the life of Rasulullah ended up returning home with his heart taken. And who can speak of the devotion and the commitment of Umar ibn al-Khattab from that day onwards? That was Sayyidina Umar. There were others who sought to take his life. Many. One of them was Thumamut ibn Uthal radiyallahu Truly remarkable story. But I'll mention that later. In Makkah al-Mukarramah, those who wished to take the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, many of them were won over by him. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did hijrah, Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ju'shim, we've heard of his story, the Quraysh, when the Prophet ﷺ secretly left Makkah al-Mukarramah with Abu Bakr and Amir ibn Fuhayra, as they hid and then they traveled up north towards Medina, the Quraysh sent out search parties and bounty hunters. They declared a hundred camels. That's the equivalent of a hundred brand new cars. So they placed a bounty on the head of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa of a hundred camels. So many people went. One of them was Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ju'shim. He was a fierce Bedouin and tribal warrior. And he wanted the bounty all for himself. So he says, I was seated with my people, a group, and someone came to report that they had seen something. So he didn't want anyone to share the bounty. So he obfuscated the matter and slipped away from the group so that no one would accompany him. And then he grabbed his weapon, especially his spear and his horse, and he went in the direction of the Prophet sallallahu And his intention was to capture or kill the Prophet And we, we know it's a long story, but as he was approaching, his feet became the legs of his horse became embedded and entrenched in the ground miraculously because the Prophet ﷺ made the dua. Abu Bakr was frantically looking back repeatedly and he was speaking out of fear for the Prophet ﷺ. But Rasulullah prayed and Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ju'shim's horse became stuck in the ground. Once he was released 
And even after being released, he was still intent on capturing or killing the Prophet ﷺ. A second time he became stuck. A third time, eventually he realized that this was the work of the Prophet ﷺ. He then drew near and then he, subhanAllah, the man who came to kill the Prophet ﷺ or capture him, he was humbled before the Messenger of Allah. Even though he was the one on the horse, he was the warrior, he was the one with the weapons, and all the only people before him were Abu Bakr and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Yet Suraqatun Malik ibn Ju'sham's heart was transformed, although strangely he didn't embrace Islam straight away. He embraced Islam after a number of years. But he recognized the Prophet وسلم, he asked him to write him a certificate of security. So Abu Bakr actually wrote it out for him. And this same Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ja'shum, who went out to kill the Prophet وسلم, or capture him, years later, he was a Bedouin. And the Bedouin were regarded as being unrefined. So years later, and the Prophet وسلم, there, in the, can you imagine, in the desert of Mecca, in the desert near Mecca, this man has come to capture him or kill him. He is defeated. And then on that occasion, the Prophet ﷺ says to him, O Suraqa, how will you be? When? You will wear the bangles of Khosro, the emperor of Persia. And according to some narrations, he said this to him later. In any case, during the time of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab when Persia was conquered. And this was no mean thing. One non-Muslim author, in a very brilliant way, he describes the comparison of the Arabs, the companions, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, streaming out of Arabia, of the Arabian deserts, and conquering Persia and Rome. He says, to, and this is a non-Muslim author, he says to understand this, it's the equivalent today of the Eskimos coming out of nowhere and totally destroying both the US superpower and the Russian superpower. That was what the Arabs achieved. So when, during the time of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, Khosrow's, Treasures, throne, his belts, his sash, and his crown were all conquered, and they were sent to Medina. Sayyidina Umar and remembered the words of Rasulullah to Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ja'shim, and he summoned him, and he said, Oh Suraqah, come. And then he made Suraqah wear the crown, the sash, and the bangles, the golden, uh, uh, sorry, the bangles of. Khosrow, and then he said to Suraqa radiyallahu anhu, Umar radiyallahu anhu said to Suraqa, raise your arms, i.e. in this manner, so I, it's, it's a full display. And then when he did so, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, all praise be to that Allah who stripped Khosrow, and remember he was the emperor of the Sasanid Persian Empire, he said, all praise be to Allah who stripped Khosrow of his bangles and jewellery, and put them on the hands and the arms of a Bedouin. 
So he did that to fulfill the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that was Suraqah radiyallahu an who went to capture or kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. On that same journey of hijrah, another, another individual was Buraidah. Buraidah ibn al-Husayb al-Aslami. He heard about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he is traveling or fleeing from Mecca to Medina. And so... And the Quraysh put a bounty on him. So again, Buraydah was a leader of his people. Buraydah ibn al-Husayb, he was a leader of his people. So he, he summoned and he created a search party of 70 of his followers. And he went out, Buraydah, with 70 of his folk, people of his tribe. And they went out to search for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Subhanallah. And his intent was again to capture or kill Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When they eventually came upon them, this was nearer to Medina. Suraqa, his story was near to, nearer to Mecca. Buraidah, his story was nearer to Medina. So when they came upon them, here you are, an, uh, a huge faction of 70 Bedouin warriors led by their tribal chief, Buraydah. When they saw the Prophet ﷺ, Buraydah said to him, Who are you? He said, Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So the Prophet ﷺ asked him who he was. He identified himself, Buraydah ibn Husayb al-Aslami. Wallahu a'lam what happened. But just by seeing the Prophet ﷺ, his heart was transformed and his intention to capture or kill the Messenger for that same bounty with his company of 70 men was changed. And then he actually said to him, Ashhadu annaka Rasulullah, that I testify that you are the Messenger of Allah. And then he said to him, O Messenger of Allah, it is not befitting that you travel in this manner. He then removed his imamah. Buraydah, and tied it to his spear. And he said, this is your standard, O Messenger of Allah. A sudden transformation. These were two individuals on the journey of Hijrah. Suraqa, Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ju'shim, and Buraydah ibn al-Husayb al-Aslami. Both of them embraced Islam. Suraqa later, Buraydah immediately, radiyallahu anhuma, and both of them remained devoted Followers of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those who came to kill him were transformed. <coughs> and there were many. Thumamut ibn Uthal radiyallahu an was one of those who came to kill him. Another, two years after the hijrah, when the battle of Badr took place, it was a huge disaster for the mushrikeen of the Quraysh, the pagans. Because they were very confident they believed that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this was their view, I'm only quoting, what, uh, or I'm only expressing what they believed. They believed that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a ragtag following of a few people. And that they came out in their full armor, with weaponry, with camels and horses and cavalry, a thousand strong from Mecca. They were so confident of their victory that they brought along their singing, dancing girls and their celebration uh, and items for celebration. After the defeat of Badr, when the chieftains were all mainly were killed, 
on that day, Abu Jahl, Umayyut ibn Khalaf, Utbah, Shaybah. The Quraysh vowed to avenge their fallen ones. And one of those who vowed to avenge his fallen family members was Safwan, the son of Umayyut ibn Khalaf. So Safwan, he was one of the chieftains of the Quraysh, but as I mentioned at the beginning, he was one of the younger ones. And his father, Umayyut ibn Khalaf, was one of the senior ones. Umayyah and Safwan, one of the reasons why they were so prominent, it's not so much because of their clan. Abu Jahl was very powerful because of his clan. His clan was the Banu Makhzum. And many people belonged to that clan, Abu Jahl. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, Khalid ibn al-Walid, they were from Banu Makhzum. Even Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, the first cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from his auntie Atika, although she was the daughter of Atika, from the mother's side, she was of the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sorry, uh, Abdullah from his mother's side was of the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But from his father's side, he belonged to Banu Makhzum. So he was a relative of Abu Jahl. So, the reason Saf, uh, Safwan's father, Umayyah, he wasn't from a very prominent or powerful clan. But one of the reasons why, of course he was from the Quraysh, but one of the reasons why he was so influential was because of his wealth. And this is vital to understand. Umayyah was extremely rich. He had gold galore. And his son Safwan was extremely rich. So both father and son were independently extremely wealthy in the early days of the Prophet ﷺ's prophethood. And this is a key point to understand. So Umayyah was killed in the Battle of Badr. Safwan, his son, vowed to avenge him. Just like the others vowed to avenge their fallen loved ones. So one day after the Battle of Badr, Safwan met with his first cousin, who was known as Umayr ibn Wahab. Umayr ibn Wahab, ibn Khalaf. His father, Wahab, and Safwan's father, Umayyah, were both brothers. So the, he, Safwan met with his first cousin, Umayr. And they were both speaking of the disaster of Badr. Umayr's son had been taken captive by the Muslims. So they were both speaking. Safwan, Umayr said, there is no life after the disaster of Badr. So Safwan said, indeed, there is no good in life after our loved ones have disappeared. So Umayr said, Safwan, do you know, I am a warrior. He was, he was. He said, Umayr said, I am a warrior. But only two things prevent me. One, I have my family, my children, my wife, my dependents. They are in need of me and they are dependent on me. This is one thing that prevents me. And the other is that I have great debts, huge debts. If I never had these debts, 
or the worry and concern of these dependents, I would this minute go to Medina and I would kill Muhammad ibn Abdullah straight away. And they were both seated in the Hijr next to the Kaaba. Only two of them, no one else. So Safwan said to him, O Umair, do not let this concern you. If you go and carry out this mission of assassinating Muhammad, I will pay all your debts and your whole family will be dependent and reliant on me till the day I die. So Umayyad said, if you take care of these things, which are the only ones preventing me, I will go and I will kill Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So Umayyad set off. And he says, I have a reason to go and see him because my son is a captive in Medina. He was one of those captured in the Battle of Badr. So he said, my son is a captive. I, I will go to Medina on the pretext of negotiating his ransom. And when I have a chance, I will kill Muhammad. So Umair left. Safwan was overjoyed. And without revealing the plan, he would go around Mecca and tell everyone, because Mecca was in a state of gloom and mourning because of the disaster of Badr. So he would go around Mecca telling the people that in a few days you will receive some good news from Yathrib which will dispel and do away and wash away the sorrow of Badr. And whenever anyone would travel from Medina to Mecca or arrived in the next few days, he would ask everyone eagerly, has anything happened in Yathrib? Has anything happened? Yathrib was the old Arabic name for Medina. Has anything happened in Yathrib? Has anything happened? No. So what had happened? Umair traveled to Medina. There he came and he arrived at the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was about to enter the masjid when Umar radiallahu anhu saw him and he recognized him. And he also saw his sword hanging around his neck. So they, they would hang their swords around their neck as well. So Umar radiallahu anhu rushed towards him and grabbed him by his sword. And he said, where are you going? So he says, I wish to go to speak to Muhammad to negotiate the ransom of my son. So Umar radiallahu an grabbed him and dragged him towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So as he took him into the masjid, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw both of them coming. So Umair said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is this how you treat your visitors? Those who come to you. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, O Umar, leave him. So Umar radiallahu an let him go. So Umair came and sat before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And remember, he still had the intention of killing him. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, O Umair, why this sword? So Umayr said, I forgot to take it off when I entered. I forgot to take it off when I entered. And then he said, God curse these swords. They have brought us immense problems. 
When he said that, the Prophet said to him again, but yes, Umair, why the sword? So he repeated what he said. He said, God curse these swords. They have brought us immense problems. And he was still intent on killing Rasulullah So the Prophet he tried to brush it off. So the Prophet said to him, Umair, what happened with you and Safwan? So Umayyad said, what happened with, with me and Safwan? Remember, he was still intent. He said, what happened with me and Safwan? So the Prophet said, what happened between you and Safwan in the Hijr of the Kaaba? So Safwan was still, sorry, he was still intent, Umayyad ibn Wahab. So he said, what happened? So the Prophet revealed to him, he said, that Safwan undertook that he would repay all your debts and he would maintain your family till the last of his days as long as you came here and killed me. So Umayyad ibn Wahab said, By Allah, when we were in Mecca, we used to doubt and deny you when you informed us of what used to happen in the heavens. But now I see that you truthfully and accurately tell us what happens here on earth. For indeed, apart from Sufyan and me, there was no third person who knew of this. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Wa ashhadu anna wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He embraced Islam. And then he said to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, grant me permission to go back to Mecca and preach. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, yes. But before he did so, he told the Sahaba anhum, come, take him and teach your brother. So the Sahaba took him, taught him some Qur'an, some of the basics, and then he left for Mecca. Safwan ibn Umayyah was still waiting. He was still waiting for the good news of the death of Rasulullah When he then when Umair went to Mecca, he did not go to meet Safwan. Whilst all he did is that he went and he started preaching Islam straight away. Safwan learned of the failure of the mission and the embracing of his cousin Umair's and his co-conspirator Umair's Islam whilst he was in Mecca. He was devastated. And he then said, by Allah, I will never spend anything on him or ever befriend him or trust him again or ever speak to him till the day I die. That was Umair. So Umair radiallahu anh, went to kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Suraqah went to kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Buraydah radiallahu anhum went to kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All of them were transformed. And this story about Umair ibn Wahab being told that what happened between you and Safwan in the privacy of the Hijr, of the Kaaba. The Hijr is that part of, which is today demarcated by the semicircle stones. Originally that was actually part of the Kaaba, so they call it the Hijr. Another similar story of being told was Nawfal. I mentioned earlier that the Prophet ﷺ's cousin brother 
was Abu Sufyan, the son of a Harith. Abu Sufyan had another brother called Nawfal ibn al-Harith. Again, the first cousin of the Prophet He fought with the Mushrikeen in the Battle of Badr. After the Battle of Badr, he was taken captive. Oh yes, Umayr the Prophet freed his son for free without ransom, and he accompanied his father back to Mecca. So, Nawfal was one of the captives of the Battle of Badr. So the Prophet spoke to him in Medina, and he's his first cousin. So he said to his first cousin, Nawfal, he said, Nawfal, ransom yourself. And it appeared as though Nawfal was saying he doesn't have anything to ransom himself with. So the Prophet said to him, Nawfal, ransom yourself with those spears that you have in Jidda. Jidda was a port even then. So he said, ransom yourself with those spears that you have in Jidda. And he actually had a thousand spears in storage in Jidda. And no one knew. So Nawfal said, by Allah, no one knows of those spears in Jidda. I bear testimony, ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad rasulullah. These aren't just simple stories of people embracing Islam. This is how his bitterest enemies, close or distant, embraced Islam. Those who came to kill him, Umar radiyallahu an Suraqa, Suraqat ibn Malik ibn Ju'shim, Buraid ibn Husayb al-Aslami, Umayr ibn Wahab. What happened with Safwan himself? Safwan was very bitter. And he remained opposed to the Prophet ﷺ till the conquest of Mecca. What happened at the conquest of Mecca? Mecca was conquered. When Mecca was conquered, two people together, they fought with the Sahaba anhum. Then they realized that there is no hope. Safwan ibn Umayyah, remember one of the chieftains of the Quraysh, Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl, both of them, their fathers were the chief opponents of the Messenger They had lost everything. They had failed in every battle, and now their city, their fortress was now conquered. Safwan, the son of Umayyah, despaired. Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl, despaired. And they both decided that we will flee, we will never stay in Mecca. So Ikrimah and Safwan, together they fled out of the city. When they fled, Safwan was so despondent that he actually made an intention to commit suicide. And he said, I will commit suicide by plunging myself into the sea. And Ikrimah, Decided not to commit suicide, but he decided to travel by sea to another land, across the Red Sea, to Abyssinia. Ikrimah went, and he boarded a ship. The ship was caught in a storm. When he was caught in a storm, his fellow travellers all began screaming and shouting, and some of them suggest, one of them suggested that sincerely pray because if you are not sincere now in your prayer and in your supplication then nothing will save you i.e. your gods will not save you so Ikrimah 
he had a revelation then, and he said, if only sincerity, and the meaning of sincerity here is making your prayer and supplication one and exclusive only for Allah, not to the idols. Because remember, they worshipped Allah too. But along with Allah, they worshipped a pantheon of gods. So what the uh, person was saying is that do not pray to the pantheon of gods. Pray only to the supreme God. Because on this occasion, if you do not pray exclusively to the one supreme God, Allah, then the other pantheon of gods will not save you. So Ikrimah said, if praying exclusively only to Allah will save me on, la- on sea, then it seems that the only thing that will save me on land is also praying exclusively to Allah. So he, he was saved and he made a dua. He said, whilst, imagine the storm is raging around him. And this is Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl. So he prayed to Allah saying, Oh Allah, I vow that if you save me from this storm, and deliver, deliver me to the shore of safety, then I will go humbly before Muhammad, present myself to him, and embrace his religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did save him. Ikrimah travelled from the Red Sea, back in, inland, to Mecca, and he came to visit the Prophet When the Prophet saw him, imagine this is Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl who did all that he did. And this is Ikrimah who fought against the Prophet ﷺ even at the conquest of Mecca and fled, not being able to bear the sight of the Muslims in Mecca. And yet how did the Prophet ﷺ receive him? The Prophet ﷺ exclaimed, Welcome, O noble rider. And he welcomed him. Ikrimah presented himself humbly, embraced Islam. Ikrimah was devoted to the Prophet ﷺ thereafter. Many years after, he actually died as a shaheed in the way of Allah. Safwan had left with him. What happened with Safwan? Safwan wanted to commit suicide. And he actually traveled to the shore in order to plunge himself into the sea. His first cousin, the same Umayr ibn Wahab, who wanted to kill the Prophet ﷺ, was dispatched by Safwan. Umayr radiyallahu and went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said to him, Ya Rasulullah. Prior to this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had declared that Safwan is not to be forgiven. He is not to be spared because of his history and all that he had done. So Umayr went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, Safwan is a chieftain of his people. O Messenger of Allah, show him clemency. Mercy. Prophet ﷺ accepted Umayr, Umayr's intercession on his behalf, despite everything. Prophet ﷺ said to him, Go and bring your cousin brother to safety. So Umayr said to the Prophet ﷺ, Give me some proof, O Messenger of Allah. So according to some narrations, he gave him his imamah, and according to others, his cloak. Either way, the most famous narration is a cloak. He gave the cloak to Umayr. Umayr then went out searching for his cousin brother. When he found him, he actually found him at the port. He intercepted him and said to him, Don't go anywhere. Do not plunge yourself into the sea. Muhammad remembers you, i.e. the Prophet And he will forgive you. 
if only you go and present yourself humbly to him. He said, what proof do you have, Umair, that he will honor that? Umair radiallahu anh showed him the cloak. And he said, this is a cloak of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam." Imagine, he was about to commit suicide. He turned back, went with his cousin brother Umair. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam received him with honor. Not just in a gentle, noble way and in a compassionate way. He received him with honor. And after receiving him with honor, imagine this. Safwan refused to believe immediately. He said to him, O Muhammad, give me some time. Give me two months for me to reflect and to observe. The Prophet said, four months. I give you four months to do what you wish. Roam, remain with us, observe, reflect. And then Safwan actually stayed with the Prophet ﷺ after the conquest of Mecca without embracing Islam. This is important, without embracing Islam. And what did I say earlier on? He was extremely rich. They said he had hordes of gold, Safwan, independently of his father. They were both rich. The Prophet ﷺ, whilst he was a non-Muslim, he actually gave him wealth. He gave him wealth. They both passed by a valley where there were the spoils of Hunayn. The valley was filled with livestock, cattle, flocks of sheep, goats, herds of goats. Prophet ﷺ said to him, Safwan, do you see all this? He said, yes. He said, would it please you to have this? Safwan was in no need. He had hordes of gold. In fact, after the conquest of Mecca, before the Prophet ﷺ gave him this gift, Safwan actually lent the Prophet ﷺ arms and weapons for the Battle of Hunayn. That's how rich he was. The Prophet ﷺ borrowed arms and weapons and armor for the Battle of Hunayn, even though he wasn't a Muslim. Imam Muslim, Imam Tirmidhi, rahmatullahi, both relate a hadith in which it's related that Safwan says, The Prophet gave me wealth, even though he was the most detestable person in my eyes in the whole world. He gave me wealth, and he continued to be generous and noble to me until. He became the most beloved of the whole of mankind to me. And the reason I mentioned about wealth is this. No one should think or suggest that Safwan was bought over by wealth. What would a few goats and sheep mean to Safwan ibn Umayyah, who, along with his father, both independently rose to prominence and power and influence because they had hordes of gold? So Safwan said to the Prophet when he offered him some wealth, he said, O Muhammad, only a messenger of Allah could be so generous. He said, I bear testimony that indeed you are the messenger of Allah. Safwan embraced Islam. This was a son of Umayyah, the one who had conspired along with Umayyah to kill Rasulullah who paid for his assassination. And yet, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned his heart through the clemency and compassion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are countless stories of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum being transformed. His cousins, his, who were his enemies. Safwan, Ikrimah, subhanallah. I mentioned that Safwan fled Mecca, yes? Do you know his wife actually embraced Islam? His wife never went with him. His wife said, I will embrace Islam, and she stayed in Mecca. And do you know who his wife was? Her name was Najia. She was a sister of Khalid ibn al-Walid and the daughter of al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. So Safwan's wife said, I will embrace Islam. She separated from her husband. Her husband went to commit suicide. She embraced Islam and remained in Mecca. Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. Another remarkable story, speaking of the Iman of Najia, the daughter of Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. And remember, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira was a bitter enemy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are some verses of the Qur'an that were revealed specifically condemning him. Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu anhu, he embraced Islam, and whenever he would hear these verses, he would weep. Because he knew, the other Sahaba radiyallahu anhum knew, that these verses were revealed specifically and were referring specifically to his father. That was his father. Imagine, imagine the iman, that on the one hand, here are the verses of the Qur'an that speak of his father, and he continues to listen to them and recite them with tears in his eyes, but his iman does not shake. His iman does not waver, even though he knows that this is my father being spoken of. His other brother, Al-Walid, Ibn Al-Walid, same thing. His sister, Najia, married to Safwan, she embraced Islam sincerely and was devoted to the Prophet She refused to go with her husband. She knew that he was going to kill himself. But the transformation of the hearts was such that she chose not to accompany him. She chose to remain in Mecca, embrace Islam, and follow Rasulullah Sometimes his most bitter and implacable enemies did not believe in him. But Allah changed the whole family. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira his sons, his daughters, embraced Islam. Another bitter enemy was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an says in the hadith, Ashqahum, that he was the bitterest, the most wretched amongst them. And indeed, Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt was uh, one of the most wretched enemies of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One day they were all seated around the Kaaba. Abu Jahl, suggested to them that they, they knew that a certain family she-camel had just given birth. So it's a, it's a lar- very large animal, a camel. So once it's given birth, there, there's the afterbirth and the amniotic sac of the she-camel. So that's all normally laid to waste. And everyone knew of the birth. So Abu Jahl said, such and such family she-camel has just given birth. Who will go? The Prophet ﷺ was performing salah in the, in the mataf, in the al-masjid al-haram. Who will go and collect that salah jazur, the amniotic sac and the afterbirth of the she-camel, 
and bring it and dump it on Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So, Faqama Ashqahum, the most wretched of that group and party. Who was it? Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. He went, fetched the afterbirth and the amniotic sac and all that gore, blood and filth. He came, the Prophet was in prostration. He came and dumped it on his noble back. The weight of the amniotic sac and the weight of the afterbirth was such that Rasulullah could not rise from prostration. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud narrates his hadith in Bukhari and others. He was standing there, but he was alone and helpless. He narrates the incident. Someone went and told the family of the Prophet Fatima radiallahu anha, she was a little girl at the time, she came running. And she came and she was the one who pushed it off the back of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a little girl. And then she stood there in the mataf, in al-Masjid al-Haram, cursing Abu Jahl and his companions. And before she arrived, when Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt dumped the amniotic sack, Abu Jahl and his companions all fell about laughing, jostling with each other, poking and nudging each other in their sides and laughing and pointing at the Prophet When Rasulullah stood up, he faced the Kaaba and he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking the names of all of those chieftains. First of all, Fatima radiallahu anha was scolding them and abusing them. Then the Prophet rose and prayed, Oh Allah, seize Amr ibn Hisham, Abu Jahl. O oh Allah, seize Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. O oh Allah, seize Utbah. Seize Shayba. Seize that person, Umayyah. He mentioned their names. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says, Allah accepted his dua. But not immediately. Imagine, not immediately. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says, I saw all of these chieftains of the Quraysh flung in the well of Badr. All of them. They were all killed. And as soon as the Prophet ﷺ prayed, they heard him. Their faces dropped and their laughter abruptly ceased. Why? Because despite everything, they believed in the sanctity of the Kaaba and Al-Masjid Al-Haram. And they knew that du'as are accepted. And they feared for themselves when the Prophet ﷺ prayed. So the one who dumped the amniotic sack was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. On another occasion, he came and he took his cloth. The Prophet ﷺ was praying. He strangled the Prophet ﷺ with his cloth. On another occasion, the same Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt, Ashqal Qawm, the most wretched amongst them, he came. Whilst the Prophet ﷺ was in sujood prostration, he placed his foot on the noble neck of Rasulullah and pushed down. Allahu Akbar. But he perished. What happened with his family? His youngest daughter, youngest, unmarried. Her name was Umm Kulthum. In the sixth year of Hijrah, after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, despite all the dangers, this young, virgin, unmarried girl from a noble family of the Quraysh, she embraced Islam years earlier 
And now she actually intended to do hijrah. She left Makkah al-Mukarramah alone. And she did hijrah across the desert alone. Imagine. And on the way she met a noble Arab from another tribe who accompanied her and helped her reach Medina. But for part of the journey, she travelled alone. And what happened? They sent out a search party after her. And who was a search party? Two of her own brothers, Umara and Al-Walid. And they both chased her. She arrived in Medina before they could capture her. So they came to the Prophet ﷺ. And they said to him, as part of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and before I mention the story of Umm Kulthum radiallahu anha speaking about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, what was part of the treaty? Part of the treaty was that anyone who travels from Mecca to Medina, by agreement, they must be returned to Mecca. They can't stay in Medina. So anyone who flees Mecca must be returned. But if anyone wishes to leave Medina, and abandon the Muslims and join the people of Mecca, they don't have to be returned. It was a lopsided, very one-sided agreement, but the Prophet ﷺ accepted. And who was the one who mainly negotiated that treaty? Suhail ibn Amr. Suhail ibn Amr again was another implacable, bitter enemy of Rasulullah Allahu Akbar. In the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Suhail ibn Amr came. Suhail ibn Amr was not a normal person. He was known as the Khatib of the Quraysh, their orator. He was extremely eloquent, one of the chieftains, one of the noblemen. Again, he was one of the bitter opponents of Rasulullah So much so that he imprisoned both of his sons and actually tortured them. He imprisoned his own sons who both embraced Islam and tortured them. And he came to negotiate on behalf of the Quraysh. The a, a treaty was agreed. So Suhail ibn Amr said to the Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad, bring forth pen and paper, parchment and pen, and we shall write out this treaty. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered pen and parchment to be brought. Suhail ibn Amr said, write. So the Prophet ﷺ, all the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are gathered. And I'm just explaining this to show how bitter Suhail was. He tortured his own sons. And he's standing there in Hudaybiyah. And he says to the Prophet ﷺ, right. So the Prophet ﷺ was dictating to Ali radiallahu So the Prophet ﷺ said, Uktub bismillahir rahmanir rahim Write by the name of Allah, the gracious, ar-Rahman, the most merciful. So Suhail ibn Amr said, we don't know what this Rahman is. Who's this Rahman? Because the, the Quraysh, they never used to say that, Rahman. So they said, who's this Rahman? No. Write with the old prayer that you used to write with, that the Arabs used to write with, which is, Bismikallahumma. So he said, write, Bismikallahumma. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in their anger, they said, no, we will write, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, fine, write, Bismikallahumma. So Ali radiallahu anhu wrote, Bismikallahumma. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ali, write, 
هذا ما قاض عليه محمد رسول الله that this is what Muhammad the messenger of Allah has agreed so Suhail ibn Amr again interjected and he said no 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 if we recognized you as a messenger of Allah we would have never fought you or prevented you from reaching the Kaaba we don't recognize you as a messenger of Allah don't right هَذَا مَا قَاضَى عَلَيْهِ مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ This is what Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, has agreed on. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum said, We will write Muhammadur Rasulullah. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, No, write Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. He compromised, compromised, compromised. Ali radiallahu anhum said, Ya Rasulullah, I cannot strike off Rasulullah. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Show me where it is. And then he took the pen and all he did was strike off Rasul as Ali radiallahu anhu showed him. Allahu Akbar. And then, there were other things. Suhail then said, and one of the articles of the treaty is, that if anyone comes from Mecca, flees Mecca, to join you, then you must return him. But not the other way. Sahaba radiallahu anhu said, what's this? Prophet ﷺ agreed. Just then, as they were speaking, one of Suhail ibn Amr's sons, Abu Jandal radiallahu and the youngest son, who was a sincere believer, who had been captured, he was actually imprisoned in his house, but someone freed him and he managed to flee, and he came to Hudaybiyah in order to throw himself at the Muslims so that they could take him. So Suhail was standing there when all of a sudden his son appeared. So Suhail at that time was so heartless that he actually said to the Prophet wasallam, and O Muhammad, this is the first casualty of our agreement. So when we have agreed that anyone who leaves Mecca to go to Medina must be returned to us, the first person whose return I demand is this one, his own son Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal was weeping, pleading with the Muslims that do not allow me to be taken because he feared being tortured. That's how bitter an enemy Suhail ibn Amr was. Yet, Allahu Akbar. Despite all of that, two years later, at the conquest of Mecca, he saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, Suhail, what do you think? Suhail ibn Amr, feeling defeated, said, a brother of honor and forgiveness, meaning referring to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Eventually he embraced Islam and he was so sincere, so sincere, that he actually said to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and he said to Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasallam as well, but mainly to the Sahaba, that I have vowed that to Allah, that whenever there has been an occasion that I have stood with the pagans and against the Muslims, then I will reverse that by always standing on the same occasions with Muslims. Anything I have spent against the Muslims, I vow that from now on I will spend on the Muslims. He remained sincere. Through his oratory, he roused the Sahaba radiallahu anhum after the passing away of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahu Akbar. He was in Mecca at the time. And Umar radiallahu an being Umar, because he was an orator, Umar radiallahu and said to the Prophet وسلم, at the conquest of Mecca, he said, Ya Rasulullah, give me permission to knock out the teeth of uh, 
Suhail ibn Amr, so that he's never able to speak or deliver oratory after this. Because he was an orator, he said, give me permission to knock his teeth out. So the Prophet wasallam said, no, Umar, leave him, for there is hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will use him. And indeed he did. When the Prophet wasallam passed away, in Medina, Abu Bakr an pacified and consoled and calmed everyone. And in Mecca, it was Suhail ibn Amr. He calmed everyone. And then after the time of Rasulullah he left Mecca and Medina. He left, he traveled to Sham, and he died as a shaheed in the way of Allah. Allahu Akbar. These were the most bitter enemies. Another Sahabi at the time of Hudaybiyyah, a companion of Suhail ibn Amr, was Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. Again, he, he wasn't a bitter opponent, but he refused to believe in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's the same one who traveled to Hudaybiyyah, saw the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum jostling for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, saliva, spit, water of wudu. And he went and reported that to the Quraysh and said, O oh Quraysh, O oh my people, I have traveled to the royal courts of Abyssinia, Rome and Persia, but I have never seen any people revere their leader as I have seen the companions of Muhammad revere their leader. When he whispers a command, they rush to do his bidding. When he speaks, they listen, they fall silent to listen to him attentively. When he spits, they actually rush forth to catch his saliva and they anoint their faces and their bodies. When he performs wudu, they jostle with each other to catch the drops of water falling from his limbs to apply themselves and anoint themselves with it. That was Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. He didn't embrace Islam. Even at the conquest of Mecca, he didn't embrace Islam. Ta'if was surrounded. He still didn't embrace Islam. But after the Prophet ﷺ left Ta'if and returned to Medina, Ji'rana first, and then from Mecca to Medina, Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi followed the Prophet ﷺ. He arrived in Medina in the ninth year of Hijrah, submitted himself to the Prophet ﷺ. What had happened is, the Prophet ﷺ, after the conquest of Mecca, he went to fight the Battle of Hunayn against the Banu Hawazin, and then from there he travelled to Ta'if and laid siege to the city. But being a hilly city, they were unable to conquer it. So the people of Ta'if, they actually, theirs was considered an impregnable fortress, they were able to withstand the siege laid by Rasulullah So the Prophet actually abandoned the siege. And a number of Sahaba anhum were martyred, and they fell and were buried below the city, below the city walls. So Prophet left, went on to Ji'rana, performed the Umrah, and then went back to Medina. Suhail went, went from Ta'if to Medina. There he went and presented himself to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not Suhail ibn Amr, ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, and then he embraced Islam. And then he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, grant me permission to go back to Ta'if. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually told him, I fear that they will kill you. I, because remember, they hadn't embraced. I fear they will kill you. So Urwah radiyallahu anhu said, because of his position, he was a leader of the, of the Banu Thaqif, one of the leaders. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, they won't harm me to the extent that if I'm asleep, they don't even disturb me in my sleep. 
They won't even wake me. That's my position. Prophet sallallahu granted him permission. He went to Ta'if. There he preached Islam. They rejected him. At night, Urwah radiyallahu an stood up. He went climbed to his room and he gave adhan. He was standing there giving adhan loudly. Someone shot an arrow and killed him. As he was dying, Urwah radiyallahu an said that, what is it? This is nothing. I now find myself in the same position as those companions of Muhammad who fell below the city walls. When I die, take me and bury, them, bury me with them. The Prophet ﷺ honored him. He actually said that of all the people that I know, the one who resembles Isa, the son of Maryam, Jesus, the closest is Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi in appearance. So... Urwah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, he was a companion of Suhaid ibn Amr at the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah. This was his end. These were people who were enemies but became sincere believers and followers. Going back to the story of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt, his daughter, Umm Kulthum, she traveled from Mecca to Medina as part of that treaty. Anyone who leaves Mecca must be returned. When she arrived, she was pursued by her own brothers, Umara and Al-Walid, they came to the Prophet wasallam. They weren't able to capture her before she reached the city. They said, by virtue of that treaty signed by you and attested to by Suhail ibn Amr, you must return our sister to us. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Muntahina, preventing the Prophet wasallam from returning any women to the Quraysh. So that article of the treaty was abrogated by the revelation of the Qur'an only for the ladies. And that verse was revealed in honor of Umm Kulthum, the daughter of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. She, she stayed in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ actually married her to his son Zayd ibn Haritha, one-time adopted son Zayd ibn Haritha, who not too long after fell in the Battle of Muta. So, Al-Walid and Umara, the brothers of Umm Kulthum, they returned to Mecca. But, a short while later, all of her sisters, all of her brothers, and her mother, the whole family embraced Islam. This was the family of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayd, the one who threw the amniotic sack, who strangled the Prophet ﷺ, who placed his foot on his noble neck whilst in prostration. This was his whole family. His wife embraced, his daughters embraced, his sons embraced, and his youngest daughter embraced before the others. And she was the one who enjoyed the honor of being the first to leave Mecca, do hijrah alone after the treaty of Hudaybiyah, and she wasn't returned, Allah revealed verses in her honor. So many stories of the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, we don't have time. I'll end with just mentioning Khalid ibn al-Walid and Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu anhum, again, both of them, bitter enemies of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Amr ibn al-As was the one who, because of his speech, his wisdom, and his diplomacy and diplomatic skills, the Quraysh sent him to Abyssinia to bring back the Muslims. So that was Amr ibn al-As. And his best friend was Khalid ibn al-Walid. They both fought against the Prophet 
They fought him on all of on so many occasions, and yet after the after the Battle of the Trench, and after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, even at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, who was Khalid uh, Khalid ibn Walid led a cavalry of two hundred, and tried to intimidate the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions and the Muslims, but. Every encounter the Messenger وسلم, was having its impact on him. And then Amr ibn al-As himself relates that independently they had been thinking, both of them, they had both been thinking. And someone actually asked Amr ibn al-As that what, you are such a wise and intelligent person. In fact, one non-Muslim author wrote that if only we had a diplomat of the intelligence and the diplomatic skills of Amr ibn al-As. That's how brilliant it was. So someone said to Amr ibn al-As that you are so intelligent, so wise. Why did you then delay becoming a Muslim? How were you delayed? So Amr ibn al-As gave a reply which puts us into the picture. He said, we were a people who relied on our elders. We trusted them. And remember, as I said right at the beginning, that the Senate in, in Mecca, you had the seniors, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, the father of Khalid. You had Abu Jahl, Amr ibn Hisham. You had Umayyah, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, the father of Safwan. These were the elders, the seniors. And then you had the middle-aged and the younger ones, the younger ones such as Khalid, Safwan, Ikrimah. So Amr ibn, and Amr ibn al-As, Amr ibn al-As says that we relied and were dependent on our elders. And we would always defer to them. So when the Prophet ﷺ proclaimed his message, when they opposed him, we followed them. We accepted what they said, we trusted them. But when they passed on, this was after Badr. And the affair fell into our hands and they became the leaders and the more responsible ones. They said we were then able and we had the freedom to look at things ourselves and to reflect. And this reflection led Amr ibn al-As to the conviction that Islam was true and that the Prophet ﷺ was a true messenger of Allah. So he says just before the conquest of Mecca, he traveled from Mecca alone to Medina. Why to embrace Islam? His best friend didn't know. Khalid ibn al-Walid. And en route, they both met each other. Khalid and Amr. So Amr said, where are you going? Khalid said, where are you going? So he said, Khalid, look, the truth is, I am making my way to Medina to embrace Islam at the hands of Muhammad ibn Abdullah, who I believe to be the messenger of Allah. Khalid said, Amr, I am heading in the same direction for the same purpose. They both came, presented themselves humbly to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and both of them embraced Islam. And then they were devoted, both of them. And we all know about Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu anhu. Amr ibn al-As who remained bitterly opposed to him till that day, he actually says in a hadith, he says, this is Amr ibn al-As speaking. He says, if you were to ask me, he says, by Allah, there was no one greater in my eyes than the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And if you were to ask me to describe him, I would not be able to describe him to you fully because I was never able to stare at him directly because of the awe that I held him in. That was Amr ibn al-As. 
So Khalid ibn al-Walid, Amr ibn al-As, so many of the other Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, his own wives, Safiya bint Huri ibn Akhtab, her father was one of the bitterest enemies of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Madinat al-Munawwara. He was the leader of Banu al-Nadir, the, one of the tribes to be expelled. He was expelled and sent to Khaybar. He was allowed to leave and sent to Khaybar. But he didn't stop there. He kept on coming back and causing trouble. And he actually came back to Medina during this uh, campaign of Khandaq in the fifth year of Hijrah in order to stir up trouble and to incite the Banu Quraidah to rebel against the Prophet wasallam. He was instrumental. And he was Huyay ibn Akhtab, a bitter enemy of the Messenger of Allah. His daughter married the Prophet Sophia and she loved him dearly. Abu Sufyan was a bitter opponent of the Prophet Abu Sufyan ibn Sakhr ibn Harb ibn Umayyah, the husband of Hind, bint Utbah, and not Abu Sufyan, the first cousin, but the third cousin. Abu Sufyan was a leader and a chieftain of the Quraysh. He was a bitter enemy. And after the Battle of Badr, because all the senior ones had died, he became the leader. Abu Sufyan became the preeminent leader. That's why he was the leader of the Quraysh in the Battle of Uhud and in the Battle of uh, uh, the Trench in the fifth year of Hijrah. What happened with Abu Sufyan? His daughter, Ramlah, a very beautiful name, but not very common. Ramlah means Jamilah, meaning beautiful, Hasina. That was actually the name of his daughter, Ramla, the daughter of Abu Sufyan. But her kunya, she had a daughter known as Habiba. So she's more famously known by her kunya, Umm Habiba, radiyallahu anha. But her name was Ramla. So Ramla, Umm Habiba, the daughter of Abu Sufyan, when her husband died, Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh, or Abdullah ibn Jahsh, when he died, she married the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She was an Abyssinia. Prophet sallallahu was in Medina. And the Prophet sallallahu sent word to Najashi to conduct his nikah. So Najashi actually conducted the nikah of Umm Habiba radiyallahu anha. Different wives used to pride themselves on different things. So Zainab radiyallahu anha used to pride herself on being married by Allah in the heavens and not by the family. She used to say, all of you have been married by your families. It was Allah who gave me away and married me to the Prophet Umm Habiba radiallahu anha, her point of pride was that the Prophet gave a certain mahr to all of the wives except Umm Habiba radiallahu anha. He never gave her the mahr. He never gave mahr to Zainab bint Jahsh. And he never gave Mahr, the dowry, to Umm Habiba radiallahu anha because her dowry was paid by Najashi, the emperor, and he gave her a lot. So she prided herself on being the one who was given the most dowry. So Umm Habiba radiallahu anha, she married the Prophet sallallahu Abu Sufyan was in Mecca. He was his enemy. Yet when he learned that his own daughter... Hind learned that her own daughter had married their greatest enemy. Still, Abu Sufyan being a nobleman, he was a man of honor. And he actually said that 
of the Prophet وسلم, he said, this is a man who cannot be rejected, i.e. in marriage. He's speaking about his enemy marrying his daughter, but he said, this is a man who cannot be rejected. So Abu Sufyan's daughter married the Prophet وسلم, his bitterest enemy in Mecca after the Battle of Badr. Ibn Akhtab, his bitterest enemy in Medina, his daughter Safiya bint Ibn Akhtab married Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the chieftain of the, the chief hypocrites of Medina, his son, his daughters, his wife, all embraced Islam. This was, this is why I say this was a triumph of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam over hearts. Not the hearts of his own followers, not the hearts of his family. Not the hearts of his wives, but of his most bitterest, of his most bitter and most implacable enemies. Truly, only a messenger of Allah could have achieved that. And every one of these Sahaba عنهم, displayed immense love, devotion, and commitment and sincerity to the extent that many of them, not all of the ones that I've described, but most of them actually fell as shuhada in the way of Allah. They sacrificed their lives. And that proved their commitment. This was the effect that the Prophet ﷺ had over his enemies. We can only pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable our hearts to be affected by Rasulullah ﷺ to some degree. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.